0: Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. Mark chapter 2, you guys ready? Yeah, worship team, thank you guys. You guys are amazing. Uh, Samuel, don't fall getting off that riser. Um, I feel like now you're going to. Everybody watch, anybody want to spot him? He's a big dude, so... Uh, Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, I'm so glad you guys are here. We are in, I would. I. I guess we could call it a series, uh, but really we are going to spend the next several weeks as we lead up to Christ the King Sunday, lead up to Advent and um, the beginning of the church year. How many of you guys know the church calendar starts before our calendar, and uh, which I think is awesome, we get a head start. And so uh, over the next nine, ten weeks, what we'll be doing is is talking through people who encountered Jesus and what was the story they told. And we started last week at the beginning of Mark 2 talking about the lame man who was lowered down into uh, the house in front of Jesus, right? Some real quick remodeling happening, lowered down in front of Jesus. Jesus looks at his friends. So some of us need to wrestle with this theology. They looked at his friends and said, because of your faith, he is made well. It's brilliant. Brilliant thing. Why why do we always put it on the person who's hurting to figure themselves out? And so Jesus says, because of your faith, he's made well. And then the Pharisees are like, no, you can't do that because you're not the Messiah. And he goes, no, 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 I can forgive because watch this. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And so the guy picks up his mat, which, again, a little bit of an interesting detail that he would tell him to pick up his mat. Why would he pick up his mat if he could walk again? Well, because the mat became the message. When he walked out of the house, everyone who saw the man who had been lowered on the mat, he was now carrying the mat. And the mat was now the message that God still heals, that God can heal, and this Jesus guy is different. And the, the mat became, and so there's people outside that didn't see Jesus. There was too many people in the house. That's the other interesting detail. And all of a sudden, this guy comes out of the house carrying the mat, and they go, oh, we've never seen anything like this before. So that's where we're going to pick up. So it's important that your story is shared. Even if it's not perfect, even if it's not finished, and let me just give you a hint, it's not Um, Whether it's good right now or bad right now, it's not finished. Uh, The Apostle Paul says that he is faithful to complete a good work he started in you even until the day of the Lord Jesus, which means until the day of the Lord Jesus, God's still working things out on the earth. The goal, the gospel that Jesus brought was that the kingdom is near, so repent. Not the kingdom will someday, but the kingdom is now in your presence because the king has arrived. And so now heaven is released in the earth and repent and move into a new location. And your story matters in this season. Your story matters right now. The church should be this countercultural. I know we used to use that back in the day in youth camp like we're a counterculture. What really actually began to happen is we became a subculture. And the church became instead of a counterculture, became a subculture and it meant it could be relegated or pushed off to the side. When the church becomes its own little bubble, it becomes one bubble in the midst of a bunch of other bubbles that we all choose to live in, and it can be pushed off to one side and said, well, the church belongs there, but the church is meant to be something that lives in you to whatever street and segment of society you inhabit. In other words, the church wasn't a segment of society. Agriculture might be, entertainment might be, politics might be, business might be, family might be, whatever, all of those things, but the church... The church was never limited by that. The church was meant to be part of all of those spaces. That's why Jesus always, at every turn, just pushed back on the definitions of what church was supposed to look like, of what he was supposed to be doing. He always gave a new rhythm. I was listening to an interview with uh, David Brooks and uh, David Brooks is a New York Times op ed writer. He writes pretty much every week. He's in the New York Times. He's written some amazing books. He's, a, he's kind of the one guy sticking up, like explaining uh, to, to, to people how faith interacts with. He's a brilliant writer, brilliant writer and he wrote a book called Second Mountain. Anyways, he's in this interview, and he's, he's talking about that, that, you know, when I think about the people who are reading my columns, and I think about all uh, the situations that I'm seeing, he's, he kind of lives at that 30,000-foot level, and, and he's saying, man, the church has everything the world needs. It's got a different rhythm, or it should. It's got a different attitude, or it should. It's got a different pattern to its life, or it should. Jesus even, you guys remember the story, and I need to get in my message, but you remember when Jesus uh, when Jesus withdraws and the disciples go looking for him? You guys remember? You guys, anybody? Okay. And, uh, and Jesus takes off, and the disciples are looking for him because all these people still want to be healed. And, and, and Jesus comes back, and they go, where are you? There's all these people who need you. He goes, I understand, but we've got to go on to the next city. It sounds careless. It, it sounds a little bit... Um, well, a little bit mean, a little bit callous, a little bit like, I don't care. But the reality is Jesus was not trying to accomplish everything on the earth that he was doing. He was trying to do what he was called to do and then give you to do things so that we could just keep every generation, continue to move this thing further. And Jesus had this different rhythm to his life. He just He never did it based on the traditions of men or where he didn't only preach in the synagogue. Sometimes he preached on mountains. He didn't only eat with the Righteous. Sometimes he ate with sinners. Jesus just had a very different way of going about life. And we, as the church, should exhibit that. We should live according to the patterns of Christ. It's, it's the same thing when Jesus knelt down and washed the feet of his disciples. That's not Jesus' job at that time. That's not what he's supposed to do. The rabbi is not supposed to be down on his knees washing his students' feet. That's not what's supposed to be going on. But what is he doing? He's, he actually says it verbatim. He says, This is a, a pattern. For you this I'm modeling for you what you should do when someone walks into your house with dirty feet both literally and symbolically wash their feet from the journey don't push them back outside and stay in your little subculture but bring them into this space wash their feet and say you are welcome here Jesus was always setting a new rhythm so I want to jump into this uh, just so happened to tie into what we were at last week, Mark chapter 2, and we're going to pick up in verse 12 because that's where we finished last week, and then we'll just go a few verses, um, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll be done. Mark chapter 2. You guys there? I gave you way more time than you needed. Some of you guys went away from your app, and you've been checking your fantasy football team, so you need to come back now, get into Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verse 12, just because uh, we ended there last week, and then we'll go into verse 13. Immediately he, the guy who was healed, got up, picked up the mat, went out in front of everyone. And as a result, they were all astounded, gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. Verse 13, then Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him, and he taught them. Then, moving on, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. Now, some of us could maybe give... Uh, Matthew, a little bit of a break here. Well, he just happened to be at the tax office. A better translation of that would be that he's, he's behind the booth, right? He's the guy at the counter. He's the one waiting for people to bring their taxes and collect their taxes. And you see a hint of this in the next chapter when Mark actually calls him Matthew, the tax collector. Um, and I'll tell you that in a moment. So here's Matthew sitting at the tax booth, right? And Jesus is walking by and he said to him, follow me. That's it. Follow me. So he got up and followed him. So Matthew gets up. He says, I, I'm, I'm, it's, uh, you know, I'm at the end of my day. I've, I've got most of everybody's stuff. I'll, I'll catch up tomorrow. Why not follow Jesus? you got to understand, when Jesus is walking through the city and Jesus calls someone out and says, you follow me, the crowd followed because the crowd followed. But when Matthew was called, Matthew was called. It was a different thing. It wasn't a crowd thing. It was a calling thing. And so Matthew's hearing this word, follow me, and he's not seeing it as just kind of a nice, like, hey, you can join the crowd. He understands that the phrase means something far more significant. In fact, if you read it in the, in the, uh, in the Amplified translation, there's an entire sentence right after follow me that basically lays out and says, and listen to what I say, and walk with me in every journey, and do all the things that I lay out for you. This was not just some simple like, hey, do you want to hang out with these guys? It was, hey, we're going to do this, and if you want to follow me, if you want to pick up what I'm laying down, if you want to actually follow in my footsteps, then come along. So Matthew leaving his booth was not just a a nice like two-hour break. He hadn't had lunch yet. This was Matthew really symbolically saying, I'm done with this. I think so often we look at people and their season and their situation and we assume that that's what they're going to do and want to do forever. You think of the fisherman that Jesus called and, and he walks by and says, why don't you follow me? Step out of what you are doing. Again, another big phrase. This, this two-word phrase is so massive. And Jesus says to them, follow me. And they drop their nets and immediately follow Jesus. They were, And Dad was sitting there in the boat when they did it. And Dad's going, wait, hold on. Wait, are you... Are you leaving this? Like, are you, are you bailing on the, the fishing thing? Do I have to go hire some people? And that's exactly what they were doing. They were making a very distinct decision about their future lifestyle. But we too often assume, well, you're a fisherman, so you're a fisherman. You're a tax collector, so you're a tax collector. You're never going to be anything other than that. You're never going to change that. And there's no way you want to follow Jesus There's no way you desire to know Jesus. There's no way you want to actually see Jesus and what he's going to do. We do this, oh, the church does this so well. We assume we know what people who don't know Jesus want to know about Jesus. The people who haven't seen Jesus yet assume they already know about Jesus. And we, as we used to say, we say no for people instead of giving them the opportunity to say it themselves inviting people in to a new rhythm and a new way of looking at life and walking, inviting people into freedom and hope and joy is something all of us should be better at, inviting people into this life. Now, you may go, well, I don't know if I have a perfect life. That's not the point. The point is you don't have to have a perfect life here, and you still get to be part of the community. There's a lot of places outside these walls that that isn't true. And let us never be the church that begins to make it true in our place. I want to make sure that people come in here that disagree with us. I want people who come in here who live different lifestyles than us because we are not just for us. The church was never established only for itself. And yet it is a called out people to live unto Christ. And in living unto Christ, something shifts in the way people perceive and see life. And so Jesus, thank you. Jesus, there should be more. Come on now. You guys can talk back. I know we're in a new place. You're getting used to how it echoes and how is it going to vibe. But go ahead and go ahead and talk back. Thank you. And Jesus, welcome to C3. You'll get that in every church, every C3 church in the world. You will get one of those every service. He says, follow me. So he got up and he followed him. And while he was reclining, this is what, oh, I love this. I love this. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house. This is Matthew, Levi. Sorry if this is a little bit of a different change. Mark says this. Matthew says it different. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house. So I'm, Jesus is walking with a crowd. Hey, Levi, Matthew, you want to follow me? Sure. Where are we going? Your house. Same thing with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wheel of A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree. Some of you guys who didn't grow up in church, God bless you. You are lucky and highly favored. Uh, and, and so here Jesus goes to Levi's house, and he's reclining at Levi's house. He went to Levi's table. If, we're, if, if, our, if we as a church are basing our life upon who Jesus is, And the more we look upon Jesus, the more we look like Jesus, then then some of these things aren't just things Jesus did. They also then become things that you and I should do. And if we actually want the fulfillment that faith brings, then it should be faith lived like Jesus' faith. It's amazing how many things Jesus did and accomplished simply by walking down the street. The people he healed simply by walking down the street. We have this phrase that we go from temple to table and back again. And guess where we have to go to get from temple to table? The street. The cars have done away with a little bit of our walking. And we're we're driving past people rather than walking past people. And I get all that. But understand that every time you go from the temple to the table, there's people along the way that you can invite to one or the other. And Jesus comes by and sees Levi. And he goes, okay, let's go to your house And I think this is strategic. I think this is intentional. Many tax collectors and sinners, because tax collectors were worse than just your old regular run-of-the-mill sinners. So many tax collectors and sinners were also guests with Jesus and his disciples. Because there were many who were following him. So here's Jesus. Jesus brings Levi along. And at some point, Jesus goes, where's your house? And becomes a follower of Levi. We're going wherever you're going. I'm walking with you. This is the beauty of what Jesus did. Jesus partnered with you and I every step of the way. Jesus partnered with you and I every single step of the way. God placed Adam and then gave Adam a job to do. You and I are here not to just do something for God, but to do something with him. We are cultivating the earth. I had this thought this week that we aren't people who condemn the earth. We're people who cultivate the earth. We don't get mad at the earth for having weeds. We go pull weeds and plant flowers. You understand? It's not our job to go, how dare the earth do what the earth does? It's our job to go, wait, we have heaven. Let's plant that. Let's cultivate that in the earth. Let's cultivate at that around the table. Let's walk down the street and see a Levi and a Matthew sitting in the job we th- assume they always wanted and invite them into something new and different and life-giving and hope-filled. Invite them into a new thing that says, hey, you actually can experience freedom and hope. You, c- you can experience healing and wholeness. You can walk in a new measure of things you only ever dreamed about. So they're sitting at tax collector's office now here's what happens it's it's interesting sinners and tax collectors in that time would have been shunned by the church and by sinners it doesn't just mean people who made mistakes it's people who had fully rejected the idea that they needed to live according to some other law okay so this is like a decision they had made and so jesus is showing up in this space and he's reclining at the table and what 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 tends to happen is is we and we do this really really well we, we create subcultures, like I was just talking about a few minutes ago. We create these subcultures in our life. We, we create subcultures in our culture. And if you dress this way, or you have this thought, or you, you do this thing, or, we tend to run with the same group of people that we, we have experienced in our own life. You find this. People who are deconstructing their faith tend to hang out with people who are deconstructing their faith. And I'm not even telling you that's bad. It's a natural thing that we do. Most flowers grow in the same place as other flowers. Most fruit grows in the same place as other flowers. That tends to happen. And so that's why this call into faith and call into the church is so unique. It's because all of you should be coming from different places and different spaces. And we're not asking you all to be the same. We're asking you to all to walk into one who is the same in every day. And so you can be the finger and the elbow and the eye and the hair. You can do all the different things, but the head is Christ. And he leads us. We can be different and be united. I don't agree with everything you think about Jesus. There's a good chance I don't. But I agree with some things that have stood the test of time. That he is the Son, the Savior, the living God. The same thing Peter confessed. That the Holy Spirit has come to empower you and to make you look more like Christ. That he has saved us and set us free. That heaven is meant to exist on the earth. We can argue about all the other things, but there are some things that are anchors in our faith. So Jesus shows up at this table, and these guys have created their own kind of subculture because they didn't know what what else do we do. We've been shunned. We've been rejected. We've been pushed off. So this is the only place. So we're going to... They, I'm not even sure they all liked each other, but they, only, they were the only people they had to hang out with. And so, so what happens typically, we, we tend to hurt, run with the same people who were hurt the same way we were hurt. We tend to run with the same people who've, who've experienced the same socioeconomic status as we experienced growing up. We, we tend to run with the, same, the people who like the same kind of coffee as us, you know, because that really matters. We, we tend to, we, if, if I see a guy wearing a Dallas Cowboys hat walking down the street, I'm going to give him a high five. I may never see him again, but we're friends. We gave our Cowboys pillow to the flight attendant in Orlando. She was very thankful. I miss that pillow. No, I never understood those things that go around your neck. It don't make no sense, man. It makes no sense. Nobody lays like this. Nobody does that. Scott does, but nobody else lays like that. Nobody else falls asleep like that. And they've created their own subculture. And here's why that's a challenge. Here's why that's a problem. If the church does the same, then we will never, ever reach people. If the church becomes its own little bubble, and we've made these declarations that exclude people before they even walk in the door, we've got no chance. And, and, and the repercussion of that is they don't either. We've chosen our own preferences instead of Christ's convictions. And we've made preferences the thing we build upon. And that's why every three years we change locations or change things, because we've built on preferences. That's, what, that's why, it, oh. there's, a, un, there's still other notes. Okay, but this, and Jesus is going, I'm not going to allow this subculture to live without me ever making a way into it. So Jesus breaks through the barrier. And brings his disciples with him. And says, we are in this together. I know you're sinners. It's kind of why I'm here. In fact, we can read the rest because usually what happens, Jesus makes these decisions, takes these actions, and it causes the Pharisees to have to question. I, oh, I love the way Jesus operated. Jesus operated in such a way that the leaders of that day had to always ask questions to him. They always had to bring something up to him. And in other words, they gave him a platform. Jesus always lived and operated in such a way where they were like, "Wait, can you do that?" And Jesus is like, "Well, let me tell you." Or he'd respond with another question. Well, if you think I can't forgive sins, what if it, what if I heal him? Would you believe me then? And then they're stuck in a position of, well, "I guess I yeah, I don't man, I don't even know what to do with that." Remember, we said this last week. When we ask questions, it helps people locate themselves far better than if we simply make statements, and it locates us. The church has done a great job of locating ourselves, has done a very poor job of locating other people. And so we can't draw a line from point A to point B, because we don't even know where point A is. You you ever need directions on Google Maps? You know what Google Maps requires of you every single time? Where you're going, and what else? Where you are. Directions don't work if all you have is the endpoint. You need to also know where you are. Hebrews says, take an honest estimate of yourself. Jesus asked the disciples, who do other people say that I am? Why does he need to know that? He didn't. The disciples did. Why did they need to know that? Because the next question was, who do you say that I am? Well, you're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. Okay, now connect those dots. Bring those two together. And so Jesus shows up reclining at a table. Do you guys ever wish we would still recline at tables? Just do one of these things. Just like, would this be weird if I was sitting at your dinner table like this? Right? It would be weird. (laughs) Just trying to make sure Mayor has pure thoughts right now. (laughs) Sorry. I'm, well, just don't be sinners. I'm just joking. So here's Jesus reclining at a table with all these other people, sinners, tax collectors, disciples. I'm just curious. When was the last time our table was that diverse? When was the last time your table had disciples, sinners? I don't know what we should call tax collectors. I'm sure we could come up with something. But tax collectors, maybe like, I don't know, Giants fans. Um, Eagles fans, some Packers fans, when was the last time your table was the table where people came together in a almost uncomfortable, unique, possibly misunderstood way so that other people had to go, wait, I didn't know you could, I didn't know you could invite that person to your table. I didn't know the person with that sign in their yard was welcome at your table. I didn't know the person with that sticker on their car was allowed to be in your car. I didn't, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know that was allowed. Because we've been so much better at creating a subculture than just being part of culture. Because heaven lives in you and flows through you. Don't ever forget that your God is a God of Abundance. So he says to the people at the end of the festival, he stands up and says, if you would come and drink from me, and he says it singularly, if you would come and get a drink from me, you would have what? Rivers. It's amazing. Your God could give you one drink, and it becomes multiple rivers. He says the, he says the mustard seed would be planted. The slow mustard seed would be planted, and it would grow into a kingdom whose shade people could rest in. Your God is a God of Abundance. Please quit limiting what he can do with the people in your life who you are assuming all kinds of things about, including the fact that maybe they have a better life than you. And they're feeling all good inside. And nothing's wrong in their mind. And nothing's challenged them in the last two weeks or two months or two years. Stop it. Invite people to the table. And Jesus is sitting there, hanging out. And he's reclining at the table. And it it, it made me think of another scripture out of Matthew, where he's comparing his ministry to John the Baptist, because John the Baptist's disciples had come along, and it's in Matthew chapter 11, and he's not really saying this necessarily as a, this is how I came, and this is what I was coming to do, but he kind of reveals it because of the way he was juxtapositioning him with John the Baptist. So John the Baptist's disciples come and say, hey, what what are you doing? And he goes, well, have you seen the blind Uh, see? Have you heard the deaf uh, hear? Have you seen the lame walk? Have you seen the lame walk? Go and tell John the Baptist about that. And then he goes on this little preaching thing. He goes in teaching people, and he says this phrase. It's a, it's a great phrase. He says, John the Baptist, verse 18, Matthew chapter 11, verse 18 says, For John the Baptist did not come eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon. I mean, let's be honest. He was eating locusts, and he had, like, weird outfits and, you know, the beard and the whole nine yards. Baptizing people in a dirty river, you know. He says they had a demon. And then he goes in verse 19, he says, the Son of Man came, what? Eating and drinking. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yes, wisdom is vindicated by its fruit, by its deeds. Jesus is not worried about what you think about him in the moment. He is far more concerned with what this moment will produce in the future. And when you and I understand that the table around, here he is eating and drinking with sinners. He's, he's talking about it in Matthew 11. They didn't like John the Baptist because he stood at a river and proclaimed the kingdom. They said he was a demon. They don't like me because I did the opposite and I came what? Eating and drinking. His mission never changed. His mission was to say, seek and save the lost. His method was to come eating and drinking. To come and sit with people. And just to be very clear, he sat with Pharisees as well. Jesus sat with everybody. Jesus never kept anyone from sitting at the table. If they wanted to sit at the table, he'd sit at the table. And Jesus comes in and he knows that sitting with these people would begin to vindicate. It would be vindicated by the fruit that it produced. And what's the fruit? Well, let's look at one thing. Matthew's got this subculture. Matthew's got this deal going on. And he's only able to hang out with certain people. The religious leaders of the day have pushed him off. Said you can't be a part of this. Said you can't join in with what we're doing. You're a tax collector. You're taking advantage of us, and that was true. They were taking way more off the top than they were allowed to, and they were they were taking advantage of people. So there's a reason they don't like this guy, and yet Jesus is hanging out at this table. Jesus and and and, and, and Jesus is 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 kind of making a point here. But this is what happens in the very next chapter, Matthew or Mark. Sorry, Mark, chapter three. Verse 13, I'm just going to read some names to you, and I want you to, I want you to see if you recognize any of these. Mark chapter 3, verse 13, Then he went up the mountain and summoned those he wanted. He's, he's doing something significant here. And they came to him. He also appointed twelve. He also named them apostles to be with him, to send them out to preach. He's, he's really beginning to set up what the future is going to look like. These guys are going to spend time with him, and when he leaves, they're going to go. And to have authority to drive out demons. Verse 16, he appointed the twelve. To Simon he gave the name Peter. To James, the son of Zebedee. And to his brother John he gave the name, I'm not reading that, sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, I want you to, I want you to notice if you see a name. Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus. And Thaddeus, Simon, Zealot, and Judas, Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Isn't that interesting? I want you to notice verse 18, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas. Here's a guy, tax collector, who became a would-be disciple. And it started when Jesus decided that Matthew's table was just as valuable, just as important, just as necessary for the kingdom as anybody else's. And he goes to the table and he sits and he eats and he drinks. And here's what he knows. He knows that his his ministry will only reach Matthew's friends if Matthew is part of it. See, we we have this idea that somehow 90 minutes on a Sunday is going to fix all the world's problems. But the reality is, the reality is that your table is necessary. My table is necessary. Your street matters. Your workplace is important. And that there are people Jesus is going to reach only because he's reached you only because you've stepped in to follow and to move with him. So what does it look like for us to come eating and drinking into our world? What does it look like for us to come eating and drinking into the spaces that other people would never venture? What does it look like to invite people, invite people who, who we assume have all that they ever need? Tax collectors were doing well for themselves. They were in the good graces of Of the Romans, why? Because they gave them money and then they would take some off the top, keep it for themselves. These guys had all the luxury, all the stuff, all the materialistic things that we seem to desire and want. Worship team, you guys can start to make your way up. I'm wrapping up early. That's anointed right there. Y'all just felt the Holy Spirit. What does it look like for us as people? To come into the earth and begin to invite people to a table and invite people into our space. Here's a practice for you. I'm going to just throw this out to you. Here's, let me just give you a pattern that you could begin to work out. Walk your street. Just walk your street a couple times a week. Maybe you live in apartments. Don't walk up and down the hall. That might get weird. But walk. People are looking out going, why is this dude? Maybe you hang out in a certain area. Maybe walk your street. Walk the street that you love. Walk. Around your work be present and and then say hi to some people. Say hi to some people who are in your neighborhood, who live on your street, or out doing their yard. And don't just wave, just say, Oh, hey, how you doing? They're gonna say this. They're gonna say, We're good. Go ahead and keep walking. Say, all right, man. Hey, if you ever need anything. Hey, if you ever, if you ever struggling, or if they're having a tough time doing the yard or what, walk the street and, and begin to get a heart for your neighborhood, for your workplace, because there's people that you will reach, people that will sit at your table. Heck, there's people who you will sit at their table, and you'll spend time with them, and it won't be because we put on an amazing service, even though I think we do. It changes their life. You know what will change their life? Your table. Your willingness to invite people in who might believe things a little differently than you, might have really strong stances. I mean, they've never taken that sign out of the yard. They've never done this, they've never done that. They keep posting these things, they keep sharing these things. Man, do you really believe God is so limited by someone's politics? by someone's opinions. Man, God has given us a gift, and it's called hospitality. To show people, I didn't didn't come for anything other than this. He ends this last piece, and this is where I want to end today. Because the Pharisees start getting upset. They start going, wait, you you can't do this. When the scribes of the Pharisees, verse 16, saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, They asked his disciples, because they didn't want to ask Jesus. He'd already shown them up a couple times. They're still reeling a little bit from that. He says, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus, never missing an opportunity. He says, those who are well don't need a doctor. He's not saying there are people who are already righteous. He's simply saying those people who already view themselves as well. But the sick do. And I didn't come to call the righteous but to call the sinners. My kingdom is for all who understand that they need a Savior. My kingdom is here. I I came to reach people who needed healing and hope, grace, forgiveness, freedom, joy. That's why I came. So when you see someone struggling in life, that's why Jesus came. When you see someone hurt in life, that's why Jesus came. When you see someone spouting off things that you don't agree with, that's why Jesus came. He showed up because everybody ain't perfect. He showed up because, as we said a few weeks ago, the thread of good and bad run through us all. He showed up because we all needed someone to show us a new way. So next time you see someone, don't condemn it. Cultivate it. Don't throw it away. Embrace it. When you see someone who's walked through some mess, wash their feet and prepare a meal. Walk the streets, set some tables, and we'll change the world. We aren't a subculture. We don't exist in one little piece. We are the church, and we live everywhere. So let his kingdom come, and his will be done, wherever you might be. Bow your heads. Lord, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for the grace and the mercy. I thank you for the strength and the power. I thank you for the energy and the confidence. I thank you for the hope and the joy. I thank you that you are with us now. And you are with us at the table when someone says something we don't understand, says something we disagree with, You are with us when we walk by the tax collector and the sinner. You're with us when we understand we are also a tax collector and a sinner. And we are all in need of your grace. But you didn't leave us in that place. You looked upon us and said, I'll make a new covenant with you. And I'll exchange robes with you. And when the Father looks upon you, he looks upon the Son. Because Jesus didn't look at the tax collectors and sinners and disciples differently. He looked at them all the same. Why? Because he was there when he made every single one of them. And they were all created in the image of God. They were all created with a purpose. They were all created with love and care. They were all created with intentionality. Come on, they were all created. And so Jesus sat with his creation and said, let's see what can happen here. I call you. I, I call you out. I bring you into a place set you at a table and we're going to do life together lord i pray every person in this place walks their street but i pray every single person in this place sets a new table and i pray every single person in this place has the confidence and the courage not of their own strength but of yours to say hey why don't you come in to a new rhythm come into a new pattern come into a new way and find jesus who will set you free bring hope bring life Bring joy and do something that none of us can ever imagine. In Jesus' name.